Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tonaris podcast. I am your host, James. I'm not joined, as always, by my good friend, Timmy Long. Hi, everyone. Rosalind O'Callaghan is our guest today. How are you, Rosalind? I'm good, thanks. And yourselves? Not too bad, oh, well. not too bad. So you were on the telly recently with Katie Hannon. I was. Oh. I was on RT Upfront with Katie Hannon a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Yes. Talking about your experience of abuse in Defence Forces. Um, yes, um, of my rape yeah. experience while I was serving overseas with the 83rd Infantry yeah. Battalion Unifil okay. in 1998. Yeah. yeah. B- before we get into that... Bring us back to where you're from and what it was like growing up for you. Yeah, um, I'm from Bandon, born in St. Finbars in 1977 and uh, born and reared in Bandon in Richmond Court, um, um, council estate, five of us in the family, mum and dad, and uh, had a good childhood, yeah. And had you got a family member in the Defence Forces? I did. My mother's father, my grandfather... And my mum's two brothers, Raymond and Jimmy. Jimmy's nickname was Number Seven. Oh, and yeah. Uh, yeah, the three of them served with the 11th Battalion yeah. and the 1st Field Artillery Regiment in Balancholic. So it yeah. must have been, for you, so it must have been a dream to join the army. Yeah, I always wanted to be a soldier. I wanted to follow my grandfather's footsteps. Um, sure, my mother and my nan thought I was... Mad, you know, yeah. but I did it. Yeah. And yeah. you know, back then, for a female to, in, in the army, were, were there a few to be seen? Or was was it a, a period of time where there was a number of females starting to join the army? Yeah. Or was it just overpopulated with men at the time? Oh, it's, it's still overpopulated with men, but at the time, um, it was women were joining the army, but or, uh, but it wasn't kind of the done thing you know but um, from what I know is that I joined in 1996 December 96 uh, we were the 80th recruit platoon yeah and there was seven females in the platoon uh, of 30 oh yeah Yeah. it's still a good number for the time was it uh, for the time, yeah, it would was. Would um, Oh, they would. But at the time, the selection process was very hard. You had to go through an interview process, then you had to go through fitness tests, and then you had your medical. And I, <laughs> I remember the fitness test. Oh, God. Like, I can't run. I still can't run. Mm. But um, I, I, I passed it, and, um, and I passed the medical, and then I was one of the seven... That got into platoon. It must have been absolutely thrilled, I tell you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I yeah. couldn't believe it. You know, um, this is where I wanted to go in life. That was my yeah. path, and uh, I went in as a recruit. I did in nineteen ninety eight. What was it like when you went in? 
Um, see, I was in the FCA before that, so I had an idea yeah. of how, you know, drills and marching and uniform and dress. And You'll describe a typical day for a, a private... <laughs> As a as a private, as, 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 as a recruiter, as a private, like, <laughs> you're learning the ropes. What's a typical day for you in training? I suppose I go with recruit training. You yeah. you have to get up early in the morning. You probably you know you set your alarm for maybe six a.m. so that your you can get your boots ready. Well, they should have been ready anyways from the night before. Mm-hmm. Your uniform has to be immaculate, you know, um, ready for inspection. Your bed has to be dressed down you know, folded immaculately um, and all yourself, your own personal hygiene has to be immaculate and um, the toilet, the toilets, the showers, um, the stairs, floors, no dust, everything had to be spotless. Yeah. And then you go out on parade, um, you're marched to breakfast, you get breakfast, um, then you come back and you get ready for inspection. On the square, um, where they inspect your clothing, yourself and your clothing, your boots. And and after that, you might do a few, um, some marching skills around the square in Collins Barracks. And after that, then you go up and there'll be a room inspection. And after that, then you'd have drill inspection when it comes to weapons. Um, you're learning about the Steyr mm-hmm. and the GPMG and... Um, yeah, and then you would have uh, your f- fitness routine where you're taking on uh, physical training, you know, um, runs that would be miles. miles. In the army, right, you have these sergeants, these these guys that are doing the drills and they're screaming and roaring into your face. You, you know the way you watch it on TV. And I've often been looked at and I said, I don't think I could actually take that. Him calling you this, that and the other and screaming into your face and spitting and calling you. How do you deal with that? How does another human being deal with someone yeah. in their face like that? Is it, is it like that? Uh, yes. Well, back in my day it was. Not so much now, but uh, back in, certainly back in 1998, 99, um, yes it was. But you just um, you just have that mental strength where you just block it out. And you just take it on the chin. Mm. <laughs> Even Hell Week, when we were watching Hell Week, there yeah. a few months ago. Do you see these songs? Someone yeah. shouting and roaring. Try to push your buttons like back yeah. at the lads. But that's what they do. Yeah. yeah. Try to yeah. break, yeah. Try to break, yeah, 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 yeah. And did, did, takes did, a lot of did effort, that ever though. get you? Did it ever get you to a stage um, that you said, I, it, I can't do this more? No, not that way. I suppose I was on a training course. It's called a non-commissioned officer's course and in 2002. And it's for promotion. So you'd be promoted corporate. But the course is six months long and it's intense and it's physical mm. and it's mentally draining. And I remember I lost so much weight. I went down to seven stone. Yeah. Um, but... We were up in, we were on a tactical exercise at the time up in Kilworth and um, the pressure was on us so, you know, and this this NCO training instructor came right up to my face, right up to my face like that and started roaring, oh, come on, problem, my little curse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, next thing I just, eyes oh, up to heaven, he said, are you rolling your eyes at me for, and I just said, off, <laughs> I can't oh, take yeah. any more. No, 
No, he he broke me now. He did, oh, you know. Um, yeah, and he actually reported it and everything after, like, I got bottling it all over. But you just take it on the chin and get on with it again, you know. It's learning in it for you, yeah. right? Yeah. So at the beginning, everything was grand. You were enjoying the army, you were joining. When did things start to um, become difficult for you? I was um, so I was selected to go overseas um, in 1998 and I went with the 83rd Infantry Battalion, UNIFIL, um, and it was I was in the communications section, signal section, so I was signaler private. Um, and I had just turned 21 and a few weeks later anyway, we were getting kind of a night off and we were told, you know, do you want to go to uh, the next base for a night out and have a few drinks and just to chill and relax? And um, of course we did. And there was a couple of us girls and it was a chance for us to kind of get out of our our uniform as well and get into shorts and T-shirt. But even though it was called a beach party, it wasn't a case of where you're getting into your bikini or your yeah. your your togs or the men were getting into their trunks or their shorts. It wasn't that kind of a party. Yeah. It was just called a beach party yeah. for the sake of it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so... Uh, um, sorry. Yeah. So, um, so we changed out of our uniform. We got into our civilian attire, as they call it, you know, that's their army terms. Yeah. And um, I got into my white top and I had shorts on, denim shorts and uh, runners and uh, um, had a few drinks, tea Maria milk at the time. Oh God, I could, oh, how did I do it? I don't know. And then there was beer as well, Almaza and Heineken and I had a lot to drink. I, did, yeah, I had a lot to drink, but I was still having a good time with the girls. And... Um, I remember towards the end of the night then I can't handle drink yeah. even to to this day if I was drunk after a night out I would end up vomiting on the side of the bed at home yeah. you know or into the toilet bowl yeah. but um, that night in question I went out outside of the bar I suppose as you call it and I started vomiting and the girl, one of the girls came out and saw the condition I was in. But it was near time to go back to base anyway, to our, to our own accommodation. So we mounted uh, the Sisu. So Sisu is a is a, an armoured vehicle that carries troops in the back of it. So we got into that. I suppose I was put into it, you know, and um, I was, I just, I had to be held up. Um, and got back to base and oh I was throughout the whole journey back I suppose it was about a half an hour throughout the whole journey back I was vomiting into my green issue bag um, I had clothes my uniform and everything in it and uh, plus the vomit yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah so the girls took me to my room in the Cygnus block in Camp Shamrock and there was a there was always a problem with the bloody lock that I had but I was the only one that could just kind of open it, yeah. but the girls couldn't do it that night. And of course, my me in the state I was in, I couldn't do it either. So 
directly across, two feet directly across the corridor, two, three feet, um, when the guards put me into her room and into her bed. And I'm told that I was put to bed fully dressed and my shoes were, my my, not my, sho- my footwear was taken off and I just went out cold then. Mm. Um, I was put on my side and the blankets put over me and um, so the girls left me there. They went to their own rooms then and the girl that I was that I was sharing the room with that night, she gave me her bed, but she had to sleep on the floor, but she decided she was going to phone home. So that's what she did. She went into the bunker, which was about just about seven or eight, nine feet away. And what you go into the bunkers when you when you come under fire mm. um, and there's a phone in there as well and you're able to phone home. So that's what she did. Now, I don't know how long she was in there. So, so that night in July, um, sorry. Take your time. Um, I woke up to this man, uh, on top of me and, uh, taking my shorts off and my underwear kissing me and raping me um um and from the uh, like I describe as I was having an outer body experience I knew there was something happening but I couldn't stop it I knew something wrong was seriously happening. And I always, even to this day, descri- back then, I even described it as if there was an angel. I don't know, this probably sounds weird. Like, it's like an angel saying, Rosin, wake up, there's something happening. And I couldn't. I was in and out, passing in and out of consciousness. consciousness. Yeah. You know, drink, you know? Mm. And... Um, how long he was there, I don't know. Um, how long was he raping me, I don't know. Um, and I remember the door opening again. I, I think he went away and came back. I don't know, did he rape me again? But I do remember him saying, Ross, Ross, I just want to talk to you. I just want to talk to you. And I said, go away, leave me alone. Just go away and just leave me alone. And I passed out again. Let's just clarify for for some of our listeners that you gave him no indication that there was anything romantic going on at any stage during this this period of time. No, no. He was a senior NCO. What's an NCO? a non-commissioned officer. He oh, was yeah. a senior non-commissioned officer. What, non, what does non-commissioned mean? So you have commissioned who are officers and then you have non-commissioned who are not officers. Okay. And that's, you've yeah. got them and you've got us. Oh, I see, <laughs> I see. Do you know, do you know when, uh, when you woke up and he was there, did you recognise him? Was it a familiar face or was it too blurry? Or? It was blurry and it was the, it was the voice and it was... It was 
kind of in and out blurriness. Mm. Um, but I suppose getting back to your question to me is I had no dealings with this person whatsoever. Um, I knew him from working in the camp only. Um, I wouldn't have had any communications with him. I wouldn't have any had any, um, how would I put it, a relationship with him, you know, and it was a case of just hello, goodbye, you know, and that was it on my side, but he had other things to say. How do you think that um, that he he was able to see you in that kind of condition? Was it a case that when you came back to base that you were spotted in that kind of condition, drunk he, condition? He was actually in the Sisu with us okay. um, on the way to the, the party and on the way back from the party, but he wasn't in our, in our social scene. Um, so he would have seen clearly the condition I was in in the back of the Sisu. And I'm told um, from reliable girls that uh, he took my green bag away to clean it out. And when he brought it back, he was told to, uh, he was told that I was asleep in the room and not to go in and to leave the bag at the veranda, on the veranda. So it was opportunistic on his point. Um, he saw a target yeah. and he... Took his chance. He's, he's, he's striked. Yeah. What was it like when you woke up, when you sobered up? I woke up between half five and quarter six the next morning and... Uh, did you know straight away what was after happening or did you wake up and then I you got a flashback? Yeah, flash. I sat up in the bed and I looked around. And then that hit you. And I went... I had I was naked from the bottom half down and my bra strap was opened but it was still on with my white top still on. Oh I'm getting shivers now. Mm. And um I saw that, uh, saw the girl on, on the ground and um I'm sure I can say her name, Valerie. And I took her big coat and I put it on me and I went out of the room, my head was you know when you're and I went over to the room and I got the fucking key to open like excuse my language and I went in and I I went did that happen Uh, am I imagining this was I dreaming this but I have no clothes on from here down my bras opened and I sat on the bed and so what am I going to do? How am I going to... Could I be pregnant? Do mm. I need the morning after pill? Um, I've done nothing wrong here. And I was saying, was I raped? Did that just happen to me? And that's when I I, I contacted two, two officers, two captains. And they came to my room. And I told them what had happened. And that was on the same day. That was on the same morning, yeah. Uh, within within minutes of I reporting it, and the female captain said, I, "I know, Raz, you probably don't want to hear this, but what you're after telling me, I can tell you now. But from the way you're after describing it, you have been raped, and that's when you hit. You go from that moment on." The lights, I describe it as the lights went out. My 
my soul left my body and I became, I wasn't this chirpy young 21 year old, had her whole career in front of her, you know, had opportunities. The lights went out and I became just Roslyn. My soul left my body and I just became numb. How how did the camp feel after that? No, I don't know how much time you had left in the camp before you were actually going to be heading back to Ireland after your mission. But how long more did you have to stay in the same camp together and what what was the environment or the tension? Yeah, um in the camp we I had three months left of my trip. Um the environment became very, I'll use the words, raw and hostile and divided. Became very divided because, you know, he was going around telling his side of the story mm. and denying everything. And there I am going through trauma, I suppose, and yeah. shock. And I I mean, I had to, I had to go through the experience of being forensically tested in in Nahari in Israel mm. and Throwing, that was hard. When something happens like that in the Irish camp, is it the Lebanese authorities deal with it or how does that work? No, um, it's our own military police, our own Irish military police, yeah. Um, they had no rape kit in the camp. So uh, it had to be arranged that I be taken to Nahari in Israel uh, in the back of a, a military ambulance uh, to be to be forensically examined. examined. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to keep I had to keep what was on me on me, and even before even before I I got into the ambulance, there was military police everywhere, up in the outpatients department. Um, looking for statements and I was in Nuffet State at yeah. that time. So when you were told the two captains initially yeah. you were believed by that lady? Yes or I was, yeah. Were you believed by both captains? Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, James. Did you say anything? I actually don't know. Yeah. What about home? Did you ring anybody at home? Um, so a few days had passed and um, Sorry. Um, a few days had passed and uh, no one had contacted my parents. So they were waiting for me to do it. So there was no liaison officer had contacted my mum and dad. And my unit in the 4th Infantry Battalion in Collins Barracks didn't even know. And... Uh, I remember being in this tiny room and there was filing cabinets and back then in 98 they had the satellite phones, you know, yeah. the big chunky ones. I said, I, I was brought in, I was, I was told, you know, dial the number and ring home. I tell you lads, I was the hardest, most distressful Time telling, you know, explaining. How do you explain to your mum and dad? Exactly. How does, how, what, what kind of reaction? Sure God, like, I love them. Have, like, like, my, like, like, I, I don't, I, I don't know how they reacted, but it must have been devastating yeah. for them. 
and then for me to hang up the phone and they're just left in limbo. Yeah, and they can't do nothing. And and my poor mum, you know, and my poor dad, I'm thousands of miles away in another country and that's it. You have to tell them that your your eldest daughter has been raped. Jesus Christ. Was there ever any, like, um, going back to the movies, nowhere, like, if there's a crime committed in the Defence Forces, they have, like, an internal, like, process where there's a court martialing and there's a hearing and anything like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, there was, yeah. There were statements taken from witnesses. Um, so a few weeks later, um, I was inf- I was informed that this individual was not going to be charged with rape, that there's not enough evidence to suggest that he he raped me um, forensically or um, through through witness statements, you know. Um, so the morning of the charge, they're called charges. So the morning that he was going to be charged, I had to get into my best uniform my best kit and uh, I remember walking across the tarmac in, in Camp Shamrock and heading towards the battalion commander's office with the female captain and I was actually anxious and I felt sick and because I knew he was going to be there so I remember I really didn't want to go in there and if I hadn't if I refused to go in there I would have been charged under some section as well so I had to gather myself and uh, shaking out with nerves and um, I was marched in and when I and I was stood to attention start stood to attention next to him like this you know and he would have been I would have been here and he would have been right here so we could have touched hands Jesus Christ no Bearing in mind, lads, that this is the man that raped me. I know. And I'm stood... They won't even do it in the court, court of law, yeah. anywhere. It's like the opposite to trauma and farm practice. Like, there you was know? no realisation what it must have no. been like for you. Like. No. And before the, the colonel asked, or went ahead with the with the charges, starting the charges, he says... Um, I said, sir, I need to say something here. And that's kind of something that's not done, you know. Um and I said, uh, sir, I said, that man, like that, I said, that man raped me. And uh, he replied, that's not the issue here, Private O'Callaghan. Do you want a seat to sit down? <laughs> so they would have got a seat for me to sit down right next to him. And uh-huh. I said, no. And uh, have you anything to say? And I said, that man raped me. He said, that's not the issue here. And Grammar Shaw left out the door and I broke down crying into the female officer's hands arms and I said I just want to go home I I, oh, I can't do this no more Do you know when, when when this happened and afterwards were you expected to go back working as normal or, or did they give you did they leave you stay in your room to kind of get yourself together for, for a few, I don't know. See, did you stay for the extra three months after that? No, I didn't. Once once I fell into the female officer's arms, I said, I want to go home. So you have to go through a repatriation process. But that night, I remember going over to the room and I was on my own. And at that at that time, this was, this was a few weeks later, at that time, I didn't have many friends. I had, I could count on one hand how many supported me. Um, 
and I I will never forget those those girls and 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 the men as well. There was there was a few men, but the next day um, we were told we had to to clean our weapons. So I stripped the the stire down. I started cleaning it, and then I realised, oh fuck, I have no mechanism in it. So the mechanism is it. It, it, it's the mechanism that's, way, that's what makes the the, the weapon fire mm. where the fuck is the mechanism like you know anyway I started panicking and I went to my company sergeant and he says, he said to me we have that we were afraid in case you do something to yourself oh. huh mm. yes they left me travel back home to Ireland on my own when you got home to, um, to Ireland, was there more of a formal formal practice to what was after happening, or was that it? That was it. That what happened? That was it. I had to. Get, I went back to my unit. And that was it. That was it. It was never spoke about again. Oh, you get a, a yarish. Yeah. But that was it. It was never talked about. What happened in Ireland in one of the barracks in Ireland? Do the army still investigate internally, or is the gas brought in? The guards are brought in now, James. Back then it was like... Back then it was just military police. Investigating themselves. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. So there's a, a army version of GSOC, which is the guard yeah. of yeah. the guard ombudsman. They investigate externally and independently from the guards. Does something like that now for the army? Yes, yeah. And it's, it's quite frightening, really, because, uh, you know, my opinion is that... I wasn't taken seriously and there was a lot of cover-ups and I, w I still believe that. And the investigation was flawed from start to finish and it was just riddled with lies and yeah. cover-ups. Let's go back to, to, to the court that you were in the barrack and, and um, when you were told that that's not the issue here. That doesn't make sense to me. Like, what was this judge saying? That's not the issue here. What were you doing so in there? So he wasn't even a judge to me. So yeah. he would have been this colonel, a really senior officer. Yeah. So he would have taken his instructions from, say, the legal officers back home in Ireland mm. and out there in Lebanon. Um, what was the issue? Why were we so, actually inside and the... Yeah, I tell you. Yeah, yeah. Good question. He was charged for engaging in sexual conduct, I still remember it, for engaging in sexual conduct, for being in a female's room. And he was fined £175 and given a severe reprimand. Now, severe reprimand is only words. Mm. And it's only words on paper. It meant, it meant feck all. Okay. And that was it? That was it. Did you ever have any dealings with him afterwards? No. Never, never, never. He was removed from camp from the moment I reported him. Do you know when you got home and you went yeah. back into your, your company and, and was there any support there from you from, from it's okay to say the army, is it? Yeah, so yeah. From the army in relation to maybe some counselling or, or anything in, to that nature? To, uh, look, to be fair, I suppose it, it was offered, but... I was always of the the belief and the opinion that I've done nothing wrong here now mm. and I'm going to hold my head up high 
and I'm going to get on with things. You're not going to drive me out of the army. I'm going to show you that I can yeah. still soldier. Yeah. But it was very hard. I remember the first day I went out on parade in 4th Battalion and I got pulled because I had a the big um, overseas Ireland fra- uh, flash on my uniform. And there was some smart comment passed to me and we were dismissed off parade and I just went into the girls' ladies' toilets and I actually collapsed to the floor. And I think that that's when I realised I'm actually in trouble here mentally. Yeah. Mm. And I was yeah. Um, I suffered in silence, Timmy. Did you have anybody to speak to? Um, you couldn't trust anyone. I didn't trust anyone. Um, did you? Did you drink? I did. I turned to drink. Yeah. Hold up! What was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Yeah, I turned to drink. So when I came home, um, when I was repatriated, I actually went to the Angarda Shikana to report him. Yeah. Um, and they came back to me saying they nothing could be done because it was outside of the Irish jurisdiction. So nothing could be done to him. Mm. But I did, you know, they do have his name. They should have his name, where he's from, and it should be on file. Um, so then I went to my solicitor and uh, she went through the whole legal aspect of things. Um, brought in a barrister, take, got legal advice. And at the end of the day, it came down to where we could, could have tried to have taken a court case, but I'd have to come up with thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of euros at the time, which I didn't have. Mm-hmm. Um and the likeliness of me winning the case was extremely, extremely low. So all this happened within the first 
two years if, if you're uh, army. Yeah, two, three years, yeah. So you you had another 20 years left in the army? Yeah. 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 It takes a really strong human being to be able to, mm. to stay. Do you think? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I, I do so think so. Who drove on Lick, do you know what I mean? Um, who didn't let him, who didn't let that time drive you out of the army, you know, you still pursued it. A lot of people would be, would, would probably move away because of, of the constant reminder of, of, of seeing maybe that person now, as you said they probably weren't in, in the in the environment that you were in but still you had to kind of look at different kind of people that were there and, and, and it was bringing up stuff here consistently absolutely and it did I mean I became so paranoid I you know you couldn't say boo to me and I'd end up I'd end up in an emotional wreck you know and like it came down to anxiousness, anxiety, like stress, even to the point, you know, I was so paranoid about myself, the way I looked, the way I dressed. If someone was staring at me, I'm going, oh, um, is there something wrong? You know, yeah. what are you looking at? But there wouldn't be, you know, there'd be no harm in it at all. Um, but I couldn't function anymore. I was just, I was just going with the flow. Yeah. Um, but I suppose getting back to the, trying to get him through the courts here in Ireland, mm. then is that okay if I go back to that? Yeah, is of it? Course. Yeah. Um, so our only way that I could get him to admit some bit of liability, even though he still to this day hasn't, um, he he offered um, me ten thousand pounds for counselling. Now. Lads, if you were innocent boys, you yeah. wouldn't be offering up £10,000 back then, would you? Oh, absolutely not. You know, but that was without admittance, admittance <laughs> of liability. Yeah. Yeah, I took the money because it gave me maybe some bit of mm. of closure, not, not even closure, but some bit of um, him, admittance by him. Mm. If he was an innocent man, yeah, yeah, I'm an innocent man. Yeah, he wouldn't, yeah. <laughs> he yeah. wouldn't, um, yeah. he wouldn't have handed over that money, and that was a lot of money back then. Oh, yeah, Jesus, we're talking about pounds. Yeah, yeah. pounds. Yeah. yeah, and I hated taking that money. Of course, I hated it. But it was probably in your own head as well. At the same time, you knew that you were never going to get anything else. Yeah. Um. You know, because yeah, it, because he, the, he, yeah, I couldn't get any more out of him yeah, because apparently he didn't no, have you, it. You were never going to get any more el anything else because the case was already after being exactly. dealt with. You were never going to yeah. get justice in any other no, way. No, um, and my my well being never came into it. So for the next, so so you stayed in the army for I another did. twenty years. Okay, we were ch chatting beforehand. No, right. You went back overseas two more times after that. I did, yeah. How difficult was that? Did the did, did, did the army look at, at you as probably what's the right word here, now, James? As somebody as an there could have been an issue because of what happened yeah. already. Was that a difficult yeah. process for you to go back 
uh, overseas because I know going overseas for a lot of people in the army it can be financially rewarding for them as well and I know it's a big deal for a lot of people because it might help them to get a mortgage it might help them to buy a car or, or whatever it may be yeah. so how, what was the process of you getting back overseas after something like that well I out of my stubbornness again I soldiered on and I wanted to continue on with my career and I wanted to go up the ladder yeah. you know and um but was it too soon to go back overseas? It probably was at the time. Now I can say it probably was, but um, uh, I went back over. And I have no doubt that, you know, the senior officers probably had their doubts as well. Mm. And then you had people who, you know, were cautious, I use the word cautious, you know, stay away from her, she's yeah. trouble. And they, you know, yeah. it, it was lousy really when I think about it at the time. And, Sounds very like you were in a really lonely place. Like, uh, like I remember in B Company on my second trip overseas, and this uh, male NCO came up, and he was he was actually drunk, and he says, "I know everything in your personal file, even down to your medical records." And I'm like, "What?" And then I'm like, "I can't open my mouth, you know, because I'd be seen as a troublemaker again." Yeah, you know. But I did, I told, I told someone and, um, sure, just have to get on with it. But that's the way you were spoken to as well. But after that trip, then I came home. I did a full trip and I came home. And that's when everything started to go wrong with me. Uh, That's when my mental health started suffering and started uh, going downhill. What age were you then? Uh, 22, 23. 23. And yeah. you're, you're suffering with your mental health. 23, yeah. I, um, uh, I, uh, I attempted suicide. Okay. And, and this is probably 98, 99. It was stage. 19, 2000. And we yeah. didn't have a lot of mental health services back here at that time. No. We didn't have very much at all. And if, if you were suffering with your mental health, you were put into the likes of mental Maybe uh, St. Anne's. Mm, that's right, yeah. You know, and um, I've been there. Myself a few I've times. actually been inside there myself because when I was 13 years of age, I found, I was told that my mom had a child when she was 18. So you're talking 60s, yeah, late 60s, and uh, that child was taken off my mom. She was forced to hand her over. Um, family reasons back then shame on the family church you know lads the whole you know those times but um, when when Michelle turned 21 my mum found her after searching for her and she was in St Anne's mum never knew that um, Michelle had special needs when she was born yeah so I know what you're saying about St Anne's because I've actually been in there I've seen the locks I've seen the keys and I've seen the environment and I've seen the facilities. So what did it take for you to get the help you needed with your, with your, your mental health So to me, stage? yeah. Um, so I had, I had, a, I attempted suicide. I took, I went to the shop. Back mm. then you could buy loads of paracetamol. No, mm. you can, you can, you're only limited yeah. to one package, yeah. I think, yeah. And I, I, I must have taken 20, 30 of them. And um, I was admitted then to COH. It was called Cork Regional Hospital then, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, I was pumped. Yeah. And um, yeah, not proud. 
How did you feel? How did you feel? How low were you? I was at the darkest moments of my life um, because I, I just wanted people to believe me and to know that I was suffering in silence but still trying to function and trying to do my daily tasks, get up and go to work. I had enough. Just had everything. To... I had everything. I had the car, I had the money, I had the job. Just wanted a way out. Couldn't so. hold down a relationship. No one wanted to be bothered with me. You know, I was troubled. Um, How was your trust in all men as well after something like that happened? Yeah. Well, you had men that just, just didn't want to, to know me. Um, my trust, all I wanted to me was to be loved, to be accepted. I, I, know I was a young it. girl, you know, um, I just wanted, I came from Bandon as well. So moving up to the city was, you know, just different yeah. life altogether. Different, like, yeah, you know, um, yeah. I mean, you had the nightclubs and. Yeah. Like when you grew up in Bandon, Bandon was country, country. Like oh, you country, had no, yeah. no states, it was like, country, yeah. country, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. You know, the old roads back down to Bandon. <laughs> there was no dual carriageways to Bandon back then. No, 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 no. no. Yeah. Still a good town though. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and good people st are still in it. It's in a beautiful day. area. Yeah. Down around there you have, you have, you have Kilbritton, you have Clan, Ross yeah. Carberry. Yeah. Ross Carberry is no, old No, it's your Danny. Yeah. So it's a beautiful area. It is, yeah. 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 And do you know with your with your girlfriends now, what were, how did they receive you or were they supportive for you? And yeah, um, two very close friends, yeah. And I'm ashamed to say that when, I, even though I was suffering from PTSD, I didn't know at the time, um, I shut them all out of my life. And I blame my mental health at the time and I understand now that that was my, my mental health and I'm ashamed to say that I, I, I blocked them out. I tried to, I tried to, you know, try to focus on getting them back in my life but I'd say they, they probably just, you know, yeah. I don't know, I don't know, like. Did you reconnect with them after? I, we, we did, we did a few times but uh, there hasn't been any contact in years. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and uh, I I blame myself there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know, sometimes things like that do happen, and and you just have to move on. I know. You just I have know. To move on, but listen, today, um, like you, you you retire from the army after after when it was time to retire, and you were on Katie Hannon recently, yeah. and you explained your story. How how was that received? How 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 were you both received by the public and how were you both received by the army and the yeah. representatives yeah. of the army? How did yeah. that go down? So I I am I'm with the group the Women of Honor and I would have would have been with that group since it was formed um a few years ago. But I remained I suppose the silent one in the background and because I just wasn't ready to tell my story. Um so the time was right and I went on Katie's Hannon's show a few few weeks ago and I looked glad I was a nervous wreck, you know. Now it was going to be a time that I was exposing myself yeah. to the nation and to the world. Yeah. You know, you're you're on you're on RTE yeah. and um I was a nervous wreck and but I have to say and 
it's been phenomenal the support that I have, that I have received from people I know and from people I don't know. Mm. The, uh, the the kindness and the generosity. I've had flowers sent to my home. Beautiful. You know, I've had gifts, uh, chocolates and, you know, just just pure, pure kindness. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Because you're yeah. starting to, I know you had a difficult time. Yeah. Right? But now you're seeing the real beauty in human beings. Yes. And I love that too. Yeah. Because when people can see themselves in another human being, it, it really, they start to release the love within them. Yeah. You know, and they can feel your pain. And I'm sure a lot of people felt your pain when you were on the television and you were talking about your story and people f felt it. You know, I know I would anyway. And yeah. I know James wouldn't, I know Brian yeah. would, but... And that's why that happened. Yeah, and not only that, but I had people telling me their inner secrets, their most deepest secrets mm. that they told no one. And now they're telling me and I got, I took great pride in that because I know the pain that they experienced and probably still are experiencing mm. because, you know, like I get triggers. I could get triggers every day yeah. with the PTSD. I got a trigger yesterday and... I was crying my eyes out all day. For what? But, uh, you know, because I wasn't sleeping properly the last few weeks mm. and it just got too much for me. But then you have to kind of ground yourself. Mm. And Look, When you're putting yourself out there and you're talking about such uh, a, a, a really delicate story like mm. yours, okay, you're, you're really leaving yourself wide open mm. to everybody's feedback critical yeah. feedback and, and positive exactly yeah. and it's really you have to mind yourself I mean James know this better than anybody you know you have to really really mind yourself and that period of time is really tough yeah do you know that tough where from, from when you do this interview it goes out into the public and you're like oh you're wide open yeah you're like everything yeah so you have to really really mind yeah. everything that's going on for you you know, like for years, I would have just, I describe it now, I had a wall in front of me, you couldn't break that wall. Yeah. You know, I was letting no one in. No one. And slowly, through rehab and therapy, I've been in therapy for four years with the same therapist, mm. Dr. Emmett Stones, uh, just a, an outstanding, an outstanding doctor. He's patience with me, you know, uh, because there was times and I just didn't want to cooperate with him. I, I thought, fuck this shit, like, yeah, yeah. I don't, you know, easy. this is, I, I, I go home and go, he knows too much about me now, you know. <laughs> but I am, um, he stuck with me and I stuck with him and, uh, you know, he taught, I, I, it's like peeling the layers of an armor oh. off. It's like just, Slowly, yeah. See that armor that we have, we carry that to protect us, and we build that up in years and years and stuff. I know it because of my own story. But f in order for us to get well, you have to peel it back, and to peel it back, you have to start to trust people. But you always, you also have to start to accept the shit that's after happening in your life. Yeah. You know, and you have to start loving yourself and caring for yourself. And you also have to go back to that time where. That, that traumatic event happened to you and mine in my own life and I have to love that person back then mm. and you have to be there from because very I'm sure very hard to me I know it's very hard 
I know. But if you, uh, it's obvious that when that happened to you, that was a really difficult period in your life. Okay, that you were not able emotionally for what went on. Okay, no. and you weren't, you didn't, you weren't able to grieve for yourself at that at that period of time. So uh, what what we do is in therapy is we go back to them periods of time in our life, and we grieve with a therapist, and we process. And instead of hating that human being that we were back then and saying, fuck, you shouldn't let that happen, or oh, whatever, mm. you start to love that person. Yeah. You start telling that person, it's okay, I'm here now. This adult is here now to help you, yeah. to bring you along, to love you, to yeah. care for you, mm. yeah. and to have some compassion and empathy for you. But you also, you get your downsides too, because when I started therapy, I was going home and I remember the nightmares were starting to start again, the flashbacks were starting. I'd have nightmares at night and the, the rapist would be looking down at me and laughing at me. Could see him laughing at me in my in, in, in the nightmares, you know. I remember even the school collections driving the car. Now I know we all go into another world but this was like I just keep driving and I forget to collect my child yeah. from school. Even though I got into the car to go up to the school to collect her. Mm. It was you, so you just bad. Like a story in your head. Yeah. You know, you lose complete concentration. Yeah, it was so, so bad. And again, like, I mean, I was diagnosed with PTSD, severe PTSD in 2001. But I was never told or treated by by the army. So I get, then in 19, or 19, 2016, I... I, I realised that I actually need help. I, I can't, now is the time to, to actually say, Rosalind, you're not well. Mm. You need to speak up and mm. you need to admit you need help. So you were diagnosed with PTSD in the army, but they never actually told you? No, never told or never treated. No, and it's in writing. I had a severe PTSD. I, and that was diagnosed by... Um, uh, a medical psychiatrist, uh, an army psychiatrist. So, uh, and I was sent back overseas after that mm. as well, that diagnosis um, where I was repatriated from home or from, from Kosovo. Um, simple reason was I was triggered too many times out there. We were sharing showers with men. There was just a curtain between us. I could get out of the, sh the, the shower and you have fellow going to the toilet and you're just right next to you, okay. you know. Um, and the accommodation, I suppose I didn't get on with the female that was in my room either. Um, she probably, had, I don't know, I just didn't get on with her. And um, yeah, I got repatriated after a month in Kosovo. So, so, so today in your life, we spoke beforehand, you have kids. Three beautiful you kids. three yeah. kids and um, I'm sure... By the time you met your husband and Mark, they came yeah. into your life, like your life started to change. You started seeing some value in your life. You started to feel maybe love because of the kids and stuff. How how did how did your life change when when you met your husband and 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 your kids started? To yeah, Mark. Uh, when I met Mark, actually, it's, it's funny, lads, because it's that funny actually. Um, when myself and Mark started dating, Mark was a sergeant in the army. Um, when he, we started dating, he was actually warned. He was kind of approached and told, what are you doing with her? 
Mm. Trouble, stay away from her. Mm. But Mark was a bigger man. Yeah, he's you an Ori. He's an Ori. He is. He's from Rat Peak and Road. He's far, far, far <laughs> man. Not far away yeah. as much at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I got the Nori, don't abandon, like. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a man I'd say that likes the countryside. Um, he yeah. actually does. He looks. We have yeah. two dogs. We have yeah. a um, cocker spaniel yeah. and a Westie, and we go down to the local river. Yeah. Well, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Mark would put on the boots and the, let the let the little lads off. Oh God, he, yeah. Mark Mark likes it. Yeah, but see, we have the, all the beaches around us as well. So. Yeah, but he's always like he's he's in a scar now tonight coaching like so. Yeah. God, oh, he's he's involved with the GA as well. I was telling James yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. 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 He, played, so, he played in a golden era of the pair sheet with John Gardner and yeah. Sean Og and all yeah. the like. So he was a serious team there. Like. Yeah, he played yeah. Cork once upon a time as well. He did, Cork yeah, yeah, in two thousand from two thousand from from. Anyway, I don't know from when, yeah. but <laughs> it finished in 2004. Do you know, yeah. um, we had a psychiatrist on the podcast for Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. I was telling you about him. He's an expert in PTSD and his book, The Body Keeps the Score, he he writes a lot about victims of sexual violence and rape. And he said that sometimes they can find it very difficult to be intimate and leave themselves vulnerable with, with, with men in the future. Did you find that difficult or...? Yeah, I, I suppose, look, I'll be honest and I'll open up and I hope Mark won't mind me. He won't mind me saying this, but, you know, Mark would have be, would have woken up to me shouting and screaming in my sleep. And I suppose it was at a time where I was very insecure. But Mark, me, Mark brought, he brought trust back into my life where I could start trusting again um, and having fun again. And to be able to go out in, into town and smile, yeah, yeah, and smile. You have a big smile. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Smile. smile. Yeah, and be happy and be confident in myself. And he used to say, fuck them all, mm. you know? That's a typical Nori <laughs> quote. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> fuck them all. Yeah, come on. <laughs> He's an awful man on the pitch, yeah. though. He hates referees. Oh, that's true. <laughs> but you like, it's like, you know, the Rosalind that you wore, before the event, mm. that kind of happy, free spirit, yeah. smiley, positive outlook. And then when the captain relayed back to you, the rape, and then you yeah. said you lost that. Yeah. It sounds like Mark brought that, started bringing that back into your life a little bit. He did, uh, because um, he loved me, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, sure, why wouldn't you? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I know. Um, no, he did. Again, it took a long time to, to gain trust and friendship and you know like like throughout the years like my moods were the depression was still there you know whereas oh god there was times lads where I would just get up in the morning for the sake of getting up okay and taking the kids to school and I'd hop back into bed just sleep and I'd get up again before the kids come home from school or from and even from Mark coming back from work you know, so That's I do tough. go through those periods of highs and lows. Yeah. At any point um, during this, did you ever go to your doctor and did did he ever help you with maybe medication? Because medication can be very helpful for people as well suffering yeah. with depression. Yeah. Oh, I had to. Got to point. Yeah, I had to. Um, the panic attacks, the, the 
anxiety I never experienced like it was so bad where your heart is just your mind is taking over and you have the worst thoughts and your heart is just racing and you're trying to I used to, I just, I just went to bed just, and these cold shivers, do you ever get these cold <laughs> shivers through you in bed? Yeah. yeah. And that's a fight or flight issue as well. Yeah. You know, you're, yeah. you know, there's something, there's something happening and you're trying to control it, but you, but you need to ground yourself. Um, but yeah. Do you know what it reminds me of? Do you know when I was in active addiction, if I was after, uh, sometimes if I was after a big drugs binge or alcohol binge or both for a few days and then go to sleep after a few, few days of being up, I'd often get this recurring dream. It's more of a night terror yeah. where yeah. there's men standing over me in the bed. I can't move. I'm trying to scream but nothing is coming out. It's the realest thing ever. That happened to me, But yeah. I can, like... It's re it's not real, you know. You no, wake up out of yeah. it, and then you realise, fucking hell, these, that was like, just these tonight. monsters coming at you. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're trying to imagine like, like if that happened, but it was actually real. That yeah. happened when you wake up. That actually happened, you know. And yeah. it's this terrifying. Do you know what I mean? And, it is. And and, and you know, you spoke, you brief, you mentioned briefly, women of honour. Is that a group of women that have had similar experience with yourself? Yes. yes. Um. So we were a group of women who uh, who. I suppose exposed uh, to misogyny and uh, sexual abuse, sexual assault, um, bullying, harassment um, within our Irish Defence Forces. That's to include uh, the Army, the Naval Service and the Air Corps. And, yeah. do you know, when you spoke up or even before that, to your knowledge, was the person that raped you responsible for more rapes? Did you ever connect with other mm -hmm. girls or women? Yes, um, there was a, 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 a woman connected with me through Facebook a few years ago um, to say that she had been assaulted by the same rapist who raped me and uh, in similar circumstances to my own, um, very similar to my own. And again, um, she was sidelined like myself. I put up my hand. But I was sidelined and so was she. And to this day, um, I suppose to this day, the response of the Defence Forces and the response of um, her reporting uh, her assault has been nothing but shameful. Mm -hmm. So do you know that, that man, he's just, there's been, people has been covering up for him and moving him around? Um. I can't answer that, James. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, yeah. But I, I can't answer it, James. Yeah. I don't know. I suppose it's just a theory I'm forming in my own head. It's like, it's that just two women now that don't know each other with mm. the same allegation. Like, uh, what stage do you think? It's, it can't be always other people's fault. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. At yeah. some stage, yeah, we have to say, look, maybe this guy is, you know, bad news. They all, they all knew that he was bad news. But no one would speak up. Mm. They're all protecting their own careers as well. Yeah. And their own pensions. And he's probably quite senior. Uh, probably have a lot of senior connections. If he's probably in there so Well, long. he's not serving now. Okay. No, 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 he's not serving. I'm 45, 46 next month, believe it or not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, do you know what? James is actually disgusted because Rosalind, when she came in, she 
thought James was about 46. <laughs> well, and I, got, I got the younger age and everybody knows that James always tells everybody that he's the younger one. But someone actually says, James, you actually look older than Timmy. And, and know what she said to Timmy? She says, you're muscly, but you're small. <laughs> Yeah. That was a joke, no, to be honest. Uh, no, it's uh, true. Nah, fuck. Nah, I'm not going to talk. You know you're not getting a hug on me. Yeah. So what's life like for you now? Um, very good. Yeah, yeah. I have three kids. I have a husband. I'm I'm stay-at-home mom. Yeah. Uh, so that's fairly busy. That's that's a full-time job in itself. Yeah. Uh, I'm a bloody taxi service to my to my <laughs> not to my youngest, but to the the other two. Jesus, and I'm a bank to them as well. Uh, <laughs> personal ATM. <laughs> personal ATM. Even though they'd have their own money, like yeah. Yeah. you know. And if I would, we were to shop the other day, you know, and I said, Colin, are you going to pay for that? No, you've your own money, you know. Yeah. You know, but he's sixteen. Colin's sixteen, and Clean is nineteen. So yeah. cleaners going to second year in UCC. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I heard? Do you know Revolut? That was invented by teenagers. I believe yeah, it. I'm telling you know, because all I get is uh, requests. Yeah. <laughs> text messages from requests from the kids. Yeah. yeah. So it was definitely invented by but teenagers. You know what? So they could well. fleece their mother and father. Yeah. And guilt trip then. Oh. You're getting the guilt trip. Yeah. <laughs> the emotion yeah. yeah. I can't keep up with them at all. <laughs> yeah. And I have this, I have work ethos you know you go out and you work for for your money yeah you work hard and you enjoy life then the benefits yeah. of of having money you know so yeah. but Colin works in, in Shadani Hotel now so no, I'm a taxi fair, service fair. in and out no, and in no. and out we might get an old uh rate off you you know and vote I your told him on. I told him he needs hand over 20 euros every Friday morning <laughs> I'm still waiting. <laughs> he, might, he might get us an old corporate rate to me, don't we? Oh, jeez, yeah. Uh, yeah. We talk about that often. We will, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, thanks for your time, Rosalind. It was oh, a pleasure thanks, speaking lads. to you. Thank yeah, you so much. A pleasure, a pleasure. And, and you know, yeah. before we finish up, maybe if we just put something to you, like if there was any women or girls listening now that might have had a similar experience but haven't told anybody or maybe looking for support but don't know where to go, have you any kind of bit of wisdom for them? I do. You are not alone. Do not feel ashamed. Do not hide your pain because it will eat away with the, at you. Speak up. Go to someone. There is always someone that listens. There are kind, good, decent people out there. We all have issues. Everybody has issues. Do not be afraid. Yeah. Talk to someone. And you will... Be guided and you will be supported. And no matter how small you might think the issue is or how big the issue is, talk. Talk to someone. That's 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 all I can say, lads, because, you know, in today's society, women should know, women have voices just like men have voices and we need to be heard. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Thanks, Rosalind. Thanks, and we, and we leave we leave the details of some sports services in the description of this podcast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks a million, Rosalind. Thanks a million. We'll see Thank everybody you. next week. God bless. <clears throat> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.